Rebecca Meitinger. Welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. In this episode, we will be continuing on our journey through Romans chapter 8, which we are doing a verse-by-verse Bible study. This is session 3, focusing on Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Previously, we were learning about what it means to set our minds on the things of the Spirit rather than the things of the flesh. And when we ended last week, we learned that we have living inside of us as believers in Jesus. We have inside of us the Spirit of Christ who raised Jesus from the dead. We have resurrection power indwelling us, filling us, giving us life and peace and power. And this session today is going to lead off from that point and tell us that in response, we are expected to live in certain ways. And so as we begin Romans 8, 12, let us remember that these words are coming right off of the heels of this wonderful declaration saying, you have within you the spirit of the resurrection. So then, in verse 12, it says, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So then because you have the indwelling Holy Spirit living inside of you, please live in response to this. We are debtors. In the NIV translation, it says, so then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We already talked a great deal last week about what it means when we live and think according to the flesh. We're going to deal a little bit more with that today. Paul is saying here in this text that, Your obligation is not to the flesh. He doesn't actually say, then what is our obligation to? But certainly it is implied that if our our obligation is not to the flesh, then it is in fact to the spirit, that we have an obligation or a debt towards the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about living in an obligation, what does that mean? An obligation is an act or a course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound. And in the ESV it says, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors. A debtor, of course, is something we're very familiar with. It's when you owe somebody something. So we we owe the Holy Spirit something. But I just want us to remind us before we start that Jesus says in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus said, if anyone is burdened or heavy laden to come to him and follow him. And then he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So although we live with an obligation to Jesus, to honor Jesus, an obligation to set our minds on things of the spirit and to live according to the spirit, Jesus himself tells us that this is not a heavy obligation. This is an important obligation, but it's not heavy and it's not burdensome. Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. However, this is, like I said, very important. Um, In in the words of Spider-Man's aunt and uncle, (laughs) they said with great power comes great responsibility. And we learned in Romans 8.11 that we have the power of the resurrection. We have the greatest power that there is. And so with great power comes great responsibility. We have a responsibility to live a life that would honor and lift up the name of Jesus. And we do that by leaning into the Holy Spirit. 
Now, here's the deal. This text says, Romans 8, 12 says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are, not, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. I think that's such an important uh, thing that Paul wrote in there because our flesh is going to scream out to us so much louder than the Spirit of God. Our flesh cries out to us like, Satisfy me! I want this! Do this! And our sinful nature inside of us is just like, I deserve what I want. Our, our flesh cries loud. But we are not obligated to satisfy the desires of the flesh. No matter how loud the desires of the flesh scream out at us, we are not obligated to lean into that. Our obligation is to lean into the spirit. And this takes hard work. But... Verse 13 is going to help us figure out how to do that. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. (laughs) First of all, it gives us a very clear reason that we should not lean into the flesh. If you lean into the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, you, you might think this sounds a lot like last week. Because it does. Because last week we looked at Romans 8, 6, which says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. So to set our mind on the flesh is death. And to live according to the flesh is death. So clearly there is a absolute correlation between how we think and how we live. And I think we can take from this, As we think, so we will live. As we think, so we will live. That's why last week's whole session was about mindset and working on how we set our minds, whether it's to the flesh or to the spirit, because the way in which we set our mind is absolutely going to determine how we live. And if we live according to the flesh, we will die. Now, are we all going to die? Yes. Is this referring to physical death? No. This is referring to spiritual death. If we live according to the flesh, the spirit inside of us will become further and further away from God. We will have spiritual death. So if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the key to how we do this, the key to How do we do this? If our flesh is screaming so loud at us, like, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. How do we ignore that? How do we lean into the spirit when we're living in a body of flesh? Well, by the spirit. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Remember, the spirit inside of you is the resurrection spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that the spirit that God gave you is not a spirit of timidity or fear, but it is a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So by the spirit, by the spirit's empowerment and leading and encouragement and guiding, that is how you put to death the deeds of the body and we find life. Last week, as we looked at the mindset that's set on the spirit, it said life and peace. We do it through the indwelling spirit. I'm going to share with you a few other texts from different letters that Paul wrote that give us more information on the importance of 
putting to death the deeds of the body. So I'm just going to share a few other verses with you. In, um, okay, let's see. Where am I? Now? Okay. All right. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he goes into a list of actions or attitudes that belong to our earthly nature. And he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The In Greek, the phrase that he uses for put to death means to mortify it with exclamation points. Mortify it! Do it now! It's very strong. It's not like a... Oh, you know, if you're noticing that you're falling into sin, you should really try to overcome it, try to to pay more attention, try to do better on that, take your time, and just try to do better tomorrow. That is not what he's saying. <laughs> he is saying, mortify it. Do it now. Whatever sinful habit is nagging on you keeps, like, rearing its ugly head in your life. Get rid of it now. Kill it now. Do it. When I was much younger, I was a director of youth ministry at a local church. And I was with my youth group on a on a servant trip project or like a servant project trip. And we were staying in an abandoned church that um, the, the group that was bringing in churches all summer long, they were bringing in different groups of kids each week of the summer. They had renovated it and made it nice enough our kids to lodge in throughout the summer and then as we went out we would do our service projects in the community um I would say they didn't do a great job of making it nice enough for us to stay in though because the church that we were staying in was bat infested bats like flying around rodents (laughs) infested and what they did to to keep the bats away from us is they just Somehow they shooed all the bats into the fellowship hall of the church and then they took camping tarps and duct taped them into through the in the entranceway of the fellowship hall with the hopes then that the bats would be trapped in the fellowship hall and all the humans all summer long would stay out of there and it would be fine. Except it wasn't because somehow the bats got out of the fellowship hall, not all of them, but like at every meal, so we were there for a week, and like every meal or like our evening worship services when we were in the church, um, there'd be a bat that would fly over your head, and you would hear, even because when, when they were in the fellowship hall, um, and it was separated by tarps, but you could still hear them. So throughout the week, we would just hear all this chirping of bats, and it like sent shivers up my spine. It still sends shivers up my spine to think about it. And uh, so I was just... So nervous. I was 23 years old, and I totally thought that one of my kids in my youth group was going to get bit by a bat, and we would get rabies, and we'd have to go to the emergency room. And I was only 23 years old, and I didn't know what to do, and <laughs> it was nerve wracking. And I was so mad the whole week that we had to stay with bats. So the week went by. My youth group did not get any injuries from bats or anything like that. It was fine. Until the last morning, we were, so where us girls were sleeping was just a a large like gymnasium area and we were in sleeping bags on the floor and I was getting dressed and getting my backpack ready and um, just pulling my backpack up on top of my back or like onto my back 
for the day. And as we were doing that, I just heard this squeaking voice, or not voice, but like a squeaking, like, you know, the squeaking. And we were like, what is that? And then someone was like, oh, it sounds like a bat. So everybody is like nervous, like, where's the bat? Where's the bat? Trying to like hurry up and get out of there. And as I'm putting my backpack on my back, the the squeaking or the chirping of this bat is getting louder and louder and louder. And as I get my backpack on my back, out of my backpack flies this bat. (laughs) And it flies like through my hair. And I scream. And all the girls are like, it's in your backpack. And I scream like crazy loud. And I flung my backpack way across the room. And like this gymnasium is filled with girls who are uh, you know, their sleeping bags are on the floor and they're getting ready. And I'm sure my backpack hit somebody as I flung it across the room and the bat flew out and I was terrified. There was a bat in my backpack. And I was like, get this away from me as fast as humanly possible. That is what Paul says we should do to our sin. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Mortify it. Do it now. It is a bat in your backpack. It is a bat in your backpack. Get rid of it. Do not lug it around. Do not take it with you. Don't zip it in your backpack and pretend that it's okay. It is not okay. Mortify it. Do it now. Get the sin out of your life. In Romans 6.12, Paul writes, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. When God was speaking to Cain way back in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain was tempted to kill his brother because he was so angry that Abel's sacrifice was honored and accepted by God and his wasn't. He was so mad and so jealous. And God came to Cain. God came to Cain and he said, Cain, If you do what is right, you will be accepted. Like your sacrifice will be accepted. Just get your heart in the right spot. But he said, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. But you must master over it. So Paul is writing here and he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it. Don't let sin reign, R-E-I-G-N. Like, don't let sin be king in your body. Don't let it. Jesus is king. The Holy Spirit reigns in your body. Don't let sin. It's just like when God said to Cain, sin desires to have you, but you must master over it. In um, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, Right before Paul lists the desires of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit, he says this, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So how do we stay away from the desires of the flesh? When our flesh, we are living in the flesh, we live in our bodies, our our flesh cries out to us, screams to us about what it wants all day long. How do we overcome that? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict, so you are not to do whatever you want. I love the way that verse ends. I just love it. It's not like we become an adult and we can say, well, I want to do that. Like, whatever I want to do, I can do because I'm an adult. 
No, you can't. (laughs) No, you can't. Your flesh is still in conflict with the spirit. You do not get to do whatever you want. So by the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. And we find life and peace when we do that. All right, let's go on to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you are reading out of a different translation with me, you are going to possibly see, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Or you might see, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Or you might even see, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So we're going to deal with that translation of that word in just a moment. We're going to focus on why it's translated sons. We are sons of God, even though I myself am a woman and female. We're going to get there in a moment. But I just want to first of all focus on for all who are led by the Spirit of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, the implied promise there is that the Spirit wants to lead. The Spirit will, in fact, lead us. We are not left to figure this out on our own. We are not left to make our own path. The Spirit wants to lead us. And we can let Him lead us, or we can fight Him on that. When my kids were little, I remember grocery shopping when I would have like, Um, Well, when my six-year-old, she was in kindergarten, but I still had at home with me my four-year-old, two-year-old, and baby. And sometimes, because I must have been crazy, I would take them grocery shopping. Before I realized that Hornbacher's delivers groceries, and then I used Hornbacher's delivers for like a long time. Until all my kids went to school, probably. I loved it. But um, for for a long time I would go grocery shopping with all these kids and it was so stressful because in the parking lot especially in the winter oh my goodness because you have the baby seat carrier which is crazy heavy and then you have a two-year-old holding your hand or refusing to hold your hand which is where it gets really stressful and then a four-year-old that you're hoping is holding on to the two-year-old's other hand because you don't want her to wander and stray away either you want to keep everybody close in the parking lot because there's cars driving all over the place. And I remember, especially whenever there was a two-year-old, two-year-olds, you know, they're so feisty. And three-year-olds, they're every bit or more feisty than a two-year-old. And they would just like refuse to hold my hand because they want to do it alone. I want to walk alone. I don't need to hold your hand. And I remember there were times in a parking lot where I'm like trying to carry this baby carrier and I might have a cart full of groceries, although I usually did drive up back in those days and let them load my cart for me, my car for me. But I still would have a baby carrier and a toddler. And if the toddler was having a day where they want to do everything on their own and they want to be totally defiant, the toddler would like freak out and like even lay down on the ground and kick and scream like, I'm not going to hold your hand. And I remember there were times where I was like, okay, then we're not going to the car because I can't carry you because I'm carrying a car seat carrier. And so I remember there were times where I would like take the car seat carrier back and set it on the sidewalk by the door. And then I would go pick up the toddler or just drag the toddler 
onto the sidewalk as well, like underneath the awning of the grocery store, and let the kid have their tantrum and just be like, you know what? We can't go to the car until you're done because you need to let me hold your hand. There are cars here. They are driving fast. They are texting. They're on their cell phones. They're not listening. It's icy. It's windy. We can't walk until you hold my hand. And sometimes we would just have to wait it out. (laughs) And I think the Holy Spirit is like that with me sometimes. I think the Holy Spirit is like, Rebecca, I want to lead you. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Rebecca, I want to lead you. But if you're not going to let me lead you, then we're just going to stay here on this sidewalk and you don't get to move forward. If you refuse to hold my hand, if you refuse to let me be the leader, then you don't get to move forward. When you're done having your defiant tantrum and then you let me lead you, we can move forward. But until then, we're just going to stay here. I think the Holy Spirit is like that with me far more than I wish was the case because I want to be led by the Spirit of God. I want the Spirit within me to be compliant and moldable and willing to hold the hand of the Spirit and let Him lead me. That is my desire. All right, I told you that we were going to get to this word that in the ESV is translated sons, in the NIV is translated sons and daughters, and in some other translations it says children of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's actually really important that we keep it in the correct translation of the he, of the Greek that's used here and translate it as sons. And I want to tell you why. Um, the word there in Greek is huioi, H-U-I-O, and it really does mean son. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And then in verse 16, which, or sorry, verse 15, which we're not going to get to yet, but it uses another um Uh, another way of using this word that says adoption as sons. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And in that way it is used, um, the word that's used there is huiothesiasis. Huiothesius. Huiothesius is adoption as sons. And even though I'm a woman, I could read this and I could think, what? I am not a son of God. I am female. I'm a woman. I'm a daughter of God. I could get all up said about it but it's really wonderful that it says sons of God let me share why because remember this was written to a church in Rome and the the process of legal adoption in the Roman society was only for males only males could be adoption and so this has a very direct meaning in the context of which it was written and it's very powerful and it's powerful for us as women as well so i'm going to read with you read to you a little bit about what um pastor and theologian tim keller says about this he says here adoption was a much more customary legal procedure in the roman society than it was in the hebrew or near eastern culture Paul, as a Roman citizen, would have been familiar with it. And since he was writing to Romans, they were familiar with it as well. Adoption usually occurred when a wealthy adult had no heir for his estate. He would then adopt someone as heir. It could be a child, a youth, or an adult, but only a male. 
The moment adoption occurred, several things were immediately true of the new son. First, his old debts and legal obligations were paid. Second, he got a new name and was instantly heir of all the father had. Third, his new father became instantly liable for all of his actions. And fourth, the new son had a new obligation to honor and please his father. He goes on to say this, It was a subversive thing for Paul to take a masculine-only institution, like Roman adoption, and show that in Christ, the institution of adoption is used on females as well as males without distinction. So women, friends, if you are a female listening to this and you think, no, I want to change that to all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Let's not do that because to be adopted as a son of God means that we are allowed to have all of the benefits of adoption that in this Roman context were only available to males. And what Paul is doing here is saying, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, in Christ, you get all the rights of adoption, adopted as a son of God, the, adopt, the adoption of sonship, those rights are for you, whether you are male or female, it does not matter. So this is true of you, your old debts and your legal obligations, like all the sin, your old debts of sin, they're paid for. Second, you get a new name. You are remade. If anyone was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You are instantly heir of everything the Father has. You are an heir of the kingdom. That is verse 17, and we're going to get there in just a couple verses. Your new father is liable for everything you do. So all of your sin, God takes it all. When you are adopted into the rights of sonship, God takes it all. He is liable for everything you do. And your new obligation is to please the Father because you are now instantly a member of this family and you represent the Father. This is true of you, men and women. Now, what really tickles me is remember back to, I think it was in the introduction to Romans, I mentioned that in, um, in Romans chapter 16, we learn that Phoebe is the one who is carrying this letter to Rome. And I said, perhaps it would be really exciting if Phoebe, as a woman, is the first one that gets to read these words out loud to the church in Rome. What if she was? I don't know. When she got to this verse, when she read, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, she could have, like you and me, read it out of context and been like, what? I am not a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And she could have gotten offended by that language. But she wouldn't have because she knows the context. She lived in this context. And she knows that in the Roman culture, only males could be adopted and have the rights of sonship through adoption. And she's reading this letter saying, oh my goodness, it's for me too. All who are led by the Spirit of God, that includes me as a female, and I get to be adopted into the rights of sonship? That's amazing. I'm included. For the first time ever, I'm included in Christ. Male and female doesn't matter. I'm included. That's amazing. That's amazing. Tim Keller, at the end of um, his conversation about this, has this wonderful sentence I would like to share with you. He says, 
Christian women should not resent being called sons any more than Christian men should resent being called part of the bride of Christ. Christians are all sons and all the bride. God is even-handed in his use of metaphors. I just love that. I think that's so beautiful. God is even-handed in his use of metaphors. So let's keep that as the word son. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and includes all of us. We are adopted into sonship. Okay, let's go on to verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All right, so we talked about the spirit of adoption as sons. I want to talk about this first part of verse 15 that says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So it sounds like what Paul is saying is that the people in Rome, in the church in Rome, had upon them at one time a spirit of slavery that made them afraid. What would that have been? Well, it could be a couple of things. For the Jews, remember this church, we talked about this earlier in the series, this church was made up of Jews and Gentiles, as all churches were. Um, but what was interesting about this church is that at one time, all the Jews had been forced out of it by Emperor Claudius. And so for a number of years, maybe five, six, seven years, the church was only Gentile. And then the Jews were allowed back in under Emperor Nero so then the Jews came back in. So we kind of have two distinct groups, the Gentiles and the Jews, who are trying to learn how to live together, trying to learn how to be in Christ together. What does this mean? And one way in which the spirit of fear would have reared its ugly head is for the Jewish people. Um, in the Old Testament, the Jewish law, the, the Old Testament law given by God, had 613 laws. The Jewish Pharisees also formed thousands of additional laws that kind of like made a fence around those 613 laws. So if they didn't break the outer fence, the man-made rules of the outer fence, then they definitely wouldn't break the 613 laws that came in the Old Testament law from God. So they made thousands of heavy, burdensome laws for the people, mostly having to deal with cleanliness and purification. It was a burden. And they lived in fear of breaking those laws. So that was a spirit of slavery that would have caused people to live in fear. But another way that people lived in fear, and this would have been for Jews and Gentiles alike, is that the Romans hated them. The Christians, whether or not they were Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians, they only would bow down to the Lord Jesus and they would not bow down to Caesar. So sometimes Caesar would like go on parade. And one of the things that people had to say while Caesar paraded around is Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Christians, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, refused to say Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord. They would say Jesus is Lord. And then their lives were held in uh, really Caesar's hands, like they would be killed for saying this. And so there was a spirit of fear that could also come about them because of that. And what Paul is saying here is that you have not received the spirit of fear. You haven't. The spirit of God 
is a spirit of adoption as sons. You belong to God. So even if you say to Caesar, no, Jesus is Lord, and he chops your head off for that, you are still a child of God. You have been adopted into sonship. You have all the rights of the inheritance as a child of God. You are safe as a child of God, no matter what Caesar does to you. And Paul lived this out remarkably because Paul himself underwent intense, cruel punishment at the hands of many leaders. And in Paul's last letter that he ever wrote, the book of 2 Timothy, the letter of 2 Timothy that he wrote to Timothy, um, he said, just, just, this is the last letter he wrote, so it might have been months before his death. And he knew, he knew the end was coming. And he said that Jesus will safely deliver me into his kingdom. And I find that so amazing because the way that Paul was delivered into the kingdom of God, delivered into eternity, was through beheading at the hand of Nero. And yet Paul lived with such a spirit of adoption. He had no spirit of slavery that caused him to fall into fear. He did not have that. He lived so boldly in the spirit of adoption that he said, I will be delivered safely into the kingdom of God. He had no fear, none whatsoever. So if you and I did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, you know, how does that apply to us? Because I don't think very many of us are necessarily afraid of breaking the Old Testament law. That's not a concern for us in Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Also, we don't live in fear of being beheaded or persecuted in the way that the early Christians did. Right now, that could change, certainly. I mean, I totally believe that um, religious freedom is not a biblical guarantee at all. Not a bit. And so there may come a day where our lives are demanded because of our faith in Jesus. Um, but today's not that day, not here in where I'm sitting in North Dakota. That That's not a fear of mine right now. So I think there are a couple of ditches, though, that can cause us to be enslaved. Um, a couple of spirits of slavery that cause us to fall into fear that we deal with today. And I think one of them is a fear of failure. I think amongst uh, Christians today, people who love Jesus, we can easily fall into a trap of trying to be good enough for Jesus. Even though he gave us his grace, he died on the cross for us, he loves us unconditionally, and we know these things in our head, but in our hearts, we still, or maybe it's vice versa, we know this in our hearts, but in our head, we still feel like we should do all the right things. Be perfect. Look good enough for everybody else. Look good enough for the people at church. Look good enough for the people at Bible study. Look good enough for my family. Put on a show. Be good enough. Earn grace. And that is a ditch of enslavement because it makes us afraid that might, what if we're not good enough for the love of God? What if we're not good enough to earn God's grace? I think another ditch that we can fall into and I think I personally would fall more into this category. Um, I don't struggle much with perfectionism, um, but I do struggle with this other one, the fear of missing out. 
I am afraid of missing out on great things. You only live once. Live large. Cross everything off the bucket list. If it feels good, do it. Comparison. Oh my goodness. I totally fall into this ditch of just, what if I don't get everything done? What if we don't have enough fun? What if we're missing out on all these wonderful vacations and all the beaches and all the things we could have if I would just overspend more than I already do? And what if I'm not staying busy enough? And what if my kids aren't in enough stuff? And oh, the fear of missing out. And it is like a trap for me and it's a ditch for me and it can suck joy out of life. And those two ditches can enslave us. But what is true about us is that we have received the spirit of adoption into sonship. We are heirs of the kingdom. We are heirs of the kingdom. We're not going to miss out on anything this world has to offer because we get the kingdom. We get the kingdom. And I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to worry about failing or not earning grace because we get the kingdom. We get the kingdom. God already said, you are my child. You are an heir of the kingdom. I'm not going to miss out and I don't have to be good enough to earn it. Neither of those two ditches represents my reality. Another thing this verse says to us is that the spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is a term of endearment and intimacy with our Father. I want you to know if you are a believer in Jesus, uh, we are the only faith group on the planet that knows that we can have an intimate relationship with our Father, that knows that there is a God in heaven who loves us, that there is a God in heaven who can indwell us, that the Holy Spirit comes to us and meets with us and dwells inside of us and prays for us and encourages us and teach us, teaches, us, uh, teaches us and keeps us in right relationship with the Father and that we can call him Abba, an, an intimate word of like, I belong to you, I belong to you. No other faith group on planet earth knows of this intimacy with the Father and it is our job to show it to them, to show them you can know God. God knows you. He knows every hair on your head and he loves you. He loves you. In verse 16, we learn that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's so wonderful because the Holy Spirit knows that you and I fall into doubt. Like we will have times where we forget. We forget that we are a child of God. And so the Holy Spirit comes to us and lives inside of us and reminds us, you belong to God. You belong to God. You belong to God. And here's the deal. If we are concerned that the people we love are forgetting this, for one thing, we can tell them, you belong to God. You are a child of God. But even more importantly, let's pray that the Holy Spirit will keep on telling them and that the Holy Spirit will speak louder and the Holy Spirit will bear witness to them that they are a child of God. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to speak louder in the lives of the people we love. And he will. He is faithful. All right, I want to wrap up 
This is getting to be a long episode. Let's wrap up with this wonderful verse. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. In our next episode, we're going to really talk about the glory that is to come, what it means that we are going to be glorified with the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to save that for the next episode. But I want to just speak for a moment about what it means that when it says we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, we get to inherit the kingdom of God, the new earth, the new creation. When Jesus returns, we get to inherit the kingdom and reign with him forever. And then it says, provided we suffer with him that we also might be glorified with him. What does that mean? Why do we have to suffer with him? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, Because of the fall and the curse of sin, we are going to suffer. Absolutely. Suffering is not an option in this world. Suffering is not something that hopefully we can get out of in this world. Suffering is a guarantee. We're going to suffer. And our call as believers in Jesus is to suffer with Christ, to know that he is with us in our suffering, that he went before us in our suffering. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus is well acquainted with suffering. And we know that he suffered tremendously, not just through crucifixion, but he had the weight of all of the sin of the world in his body, causing separation between the Father and the Son for the first time in all of eternity. We have no idea the gravity and the depth of that suffering. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. And our call as Christians is to suffer with him. As we go through suffering on this earth, let us do it with him. Let us not let our suffering drive us away from him. Let us not turn against him in our suffering, but let us walk with him, knowing that he suffers alongside of us. He wants to be with us in our suffering. And as we suffer with him, we can know for certain that we will be glorified with him. I just want to share in closing just two scriptures that that give us hope in the midst of suffering alongside Jesus in this world. I already mentioned 2 Timothy was Paul's last letter just months probably before he was beheaded. And at cl- near the end of that letter, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Look, when we suffer, we learn how to long for the return of Christ. When we suffer, we gain an intimacy with Jesus that we otherwise could not ever have. There is beauty in suffering. It causes us to long for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Revelation 12, verse 11, the Apostle John writes, They triumphed over Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let us not shrink away from death, but in our suffering, let us lean into the Lord Jesus Christ because we will be glorified with him. Amen and amen. If you are doing this study along with the Spirit Life Bible study on Romans chapter 8, this is the end of session 3. And now you would go in and you would do the lessons on session 4, which is going to focus on verses 18 through 25. And then after you do those lessons, come back and listen to the teaching on session 4. If you are not doing the Bible study and you're hanging with the podcast, you can either go straight in and to listen to uh, session four, but I would encourage you first of all to go ahead and read Romans chapter eight, verses 18 through 25. Read it, let God speak to you on it before you listen to the teaching of session four. Dear friend, thank you so much for hanging with me. This was a long one. I pray that it was a blessing to you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Seeking Pearls podcast. I hope you have an awesome day.